Okay, put your name at the bottom. We're not comparing it. It's too late to change <clears throat> Question number one. Matching. Match the following theories with their incorrect understandings of the atonement. Let's start on the right-hand side and let's read. this. Is, by the way, this is just a tip. If you're doing matching, read the longer one first and find the shorter one that connects with it. Don't read the shorter one to find the longer one. Does that make sense? Because you have to read the longer ones over and over and over again. So it's better to start on the other end. So that's just a tip. Proposed by Grotius, Christ upheld government in God's law. His death was a token payment, enables God to set the law aside and forgive people. That is a governmental theory. Very good. Upheld government. You see that government in God's law? I gave you a little hint there. Government. Number two, proposed by Abelard, Christ's death unnecessary to atone for sin. His death softens a sinner's heart and causes them to repent. The moral influence theory. That's right, the moral influence theory. It's a very, a lot of liberal theologians. We'll talk about that today. A lot of liberal theologians bind to that one. C. Proposed by Schweitzer, Christ became enamored with a Messiah complex and was mistakenly crushed under it in the process. That is the accident theory. C. Okay. Proposed by Origen, it was a ransom, ding, 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 paid to Satan because people held captive by him. It might be the ransom theory. Congratulations, you got it. So I felt like I kind of gave a couple of these to you. Was that that wasn't too hard, right? That part. Proposed by Anselm, sin robbed God of honor. Christ's death honored God, enabling Him to forgive sinners. That's the commercial theory. Yes, E. Number three. Commercial theory. F. Proposed by Irenaeus, Christ experienced all that Adam did, including sin. Which actually, that's a little bit of a, that's not a very charitable reading of Irenaeus' theory, to be honest. It's called the recapitulation theory. F is number two. But, but it's that he, he holds that Christ was, ten, he, Irenaeus does not believe Christ was a sinner. But, um, Anyway, he's, the, he's on the peckability side of things. He is, definitely, yes. Yes. I might have to get another thing of notes here for Charles if he's, he's coming. Um, let me print those so that oh, when yeah. he comes I'm in. Go in depth on all these oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the whole class period. For sure. One second. Let me just get this printed and then we will. Continue. You, you mentioned the audio. Is there something particularly amusing that we ought to listen to? No, no, there's yeah. not. Yeah. There's yeah. not. Um, hang on one second. Okay, let me just do it this way. Uh, where are we? Irenaeus F is two. Letter G proposed by uh, Sosinus. Sakinus, Christ's death unnecessary to atone for sin. His death was an example of obedience to inspire reform. Example. example theory, once again, kind of example in the name, the martyr theory. G is number six. Okay, any questions about those first seven? Okay, let's do the matching. Match the following terms about the atonement with its definition. 
these are important terms, important terms for you to learn. So that's why I did this. And I, I'm sorry for creating heartburn uh, among the group. Hang on one second. I'm trying to do two things at once. I'm not doing very well. Okay. Um, substitution. Let's start on the right again. Let's, um, letter A. Emphasis is making peace with God. It comes from the Greek word to effect a change, and the act is manward. What is this talking about? We're just talking about reconciliation, which is number 10. Very good. Reconciliation. Um, letter B. This is a legal act whereby God removes the charges that were held against the sinner because proper satisfaction has been made. The most common Greek word for this term means to release or to send away. Forgiveness. Yeah, forgiveness, B. Number 12, removing the charges. Okay, C, this word means to propose, to purpose. Oh, I'm so sorry, purchase. Why did no one ask me about that? I was going to say. No. No, 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 no. Someone should have said something. Come on, guys. Well, I looked at it. This word means to purchase in the marketplace or to obtain release by payment of a price. The view is sinward. Mankind was in bondage to sin, in need of release from bondage and slavery to sin. The word means what? Redemption. Redemption. Number nine. Very good. Christ died in the stead of sinners in their place. He did so vicariously. Substitution. Eight. You know, if it's right, you don't have to put a check mark. It's actually... Well, he graded his quiz before he gave it to me. E, this means to declare righteous, the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. It is a forensic or a legal act whereby God declares a believer righteous by the blood of Jesus. Justification. Correct. Justification, letter number 13. Which leaves F. This means that the death of Christ has fully satisfied all the righteous demands of God towards the sinner. The Old Testament word is kafar and involves the covering of sin. The concept is related to the wrath of God. It is what? Propitiation. Did you like my definition I gave you when you asked for a four-word definition? Oh, yeah. Did you notice? I basically gave you that. Yeah, yeah which is why I asked. Which is why you asked. Okay. Anybody have problems or questions about the, um, about the quiz? Can we give each other extra credit? You can't give each other. No, you don't have any authority to do that. All right, pass them in. Pass them in. Rachel, Abby, Oop, sorry, Kevin and Hudson, here you go, get it the right way, okay, that's one, it's Kevin's paper, but it's my See, y'all whine and y'all fuss so much. But really, when it comes down to it, you're doing fine. Good grief. All right, um, take your uh, notes out. We're going to talk about uh, Unit 3. We're in Unit 3, which is soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. Soteriology. Okay, soteriology. Very important doctrine. Doctrine of salvation. We're going to deal first with the very important doctrine of the atonement. And um, this is straight out of the book, so some of this will be familiar. And throw all your questions at me if you'd like, uh, whatever questions you might have. Um, I'm going to pull up the book here so I can make sure that I'm uh, getting this all correct. 
Very early in church history, a lot of theologians developed theories to explain what happened at the cross that freed men from sin. The Bible is clear that the death of Christ saves us from sin, but there is some lack of clarity, you could say, uh, about exactly what happened on the cross. So because of that, there have been a lot of different theories that have developed. Now, I don't think there's a lack of clarity. I think the Bible is clear. However, there is, in, there, is some, there is some room for some discussion, and there are some theories that come up. And you, you find some of these are very interesting, but uh, ultimately uh, inadequate. And so uh, the first theory that became popular was by Origen. Now, what do you know about Origen? Do you know anything about Origen? Was he alive during the... When the Mm -hmm. No, he was he was born in 185. So he's very old. He's very uh, very early, but uh, he is um, one of the more significant early church fathers. In some ways, um, that's that's yeah, that's to be. Origin's main thing was this. Origin loved to interpret things symbolically. Okay. If you think about origin, he loved to interpret things symbolically. He loved symbols. He loved uh, layers of meaning. He was he was kind of a nerd, okay. And he and he had a he, he would read into the Bible all kinds of weird things. Now he had some good ideas and he had some bad ideas. And so, in fact, pe- some people say that it was because of origin that. Uh, a lot of bad doctrine came out that he set the course for a lot of bad doctrine because of his he neglected what's called a grammatical historical interpretation of the bible contextual in other words he ripped word verses out of context and would interpret things allegorically allegory was a he loved allegory so so his he he had a um um i'll leave it at that i'll just say the origin is a very important person and it can be argued that he's a reason a lot of problems uh, that, uh, that existed for the next thousand years in church history. Could be argued that. Um, so the theory was developed and articulated by Origen. Uh, I put that there. Should you have a blank for Origen? O-R-I-G-E-N, Origen. Um, and the belief is that, okay, so when you think about it, it kind of makes some logical sense. Okay, so Jesus died on the cross and his blood is a payment for our sin. Okay, so then who's the payment paid to? If you're thinking like origin, you think, well, we're sinners and we are in bondage. We are enslaved to the domain of Satan. We're like captives. So Jesus died and his blood frees us from Satan's captivity by paying Satan the price of his blood. That was the idea behind the theory. Um, So the blank there is that the ransom had to be paid not to God, but to Satan. Uh, yes, sir. I kind of, when I was reading that, got reminded of uh, the line of the witch in the wardrobe, because that kind of seems to be what the idea of that one is. He's paying the wicked witch, not mm. instead of. It's been a while since I read. Yeah, Lewis. Lewis was a um, brilliant man, but he had some weird ideas, yeah. and he was not orthodox in all of his theology. And you have some of that stuff that pops up now and then uh, with with Lewis, C.S. Lewis. Um, I'm just actually I'm just now reading the silver chair again, and I'm reminded by some of the uh, some of the theological. But he, he, yeah, that's that's a good point. So that that is that is what he was basically promote, proposing, or he was kind of adopting. It's a very ancient idea here, of course. Origin, 
uh, promoted that. Uh, the response to that is that it, they have to remember that it's God's holiness, not Satan's, was offended. So, therefore, the payment, the ransom, was made to God to avert his wrath, not to Satan to release his prisoners of war. Uh, Satan had no authority to release. Only God has the authority to release. And it, it just it kind of turns things on its head. You can kind of you can see how easy it would be to fall into thinking like that. Because if someone just preached that as fact, I think about it. If someone got up and said, this is what happened, you could see how you, oh, okay, that makes logical sense. And you could go down that path. So, um, but it is not, it, it reverses who is, who is offended and who has authority here. Satan does not have authority to choose to release us or not. And ultimately, our sin is not offense against Satan. Our sin is offense against God. Therefore, the wrath of God is satisfied, not Satan's wrath is satisfied at the, at the cross. So, quote, uh, the verdict here, the, the theory is false because it makes Satan the benefactor of Christ's death. Okay. Uh, the view has too high a view of Satan. The cross was a judgment of Satan, not a ransom to Satan. I like that, that quote in the book there. So, the ransom to Satan theory. Sometimes we'll even find people who will say things like this. In fact, there's a chart in your book. Um, and it says, no known current avocation on the right side. Basically, that no one really promotes this today. Uh, that's, that's true. There's no scholastic, there's no organization, there's no church that promotes this. But there probably are thousands of people who think this. Um, I mean, Joel, Joel Osteen and, and Beth Meyer both more or less say that Jesus had to go get the keys from Satan. That's kind of how they colloquialize it. Oh, see, I, I don't know anything about that. Yeah, yeah. that's possible. Unfortunately, that I do. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, I, I don't know um, uh, yeah, how that would fall in here, but it's possible. Let's talk about the recapitulation theory. This is a little more complicated. Um, the theory is this, that, that Christ reenacts Adam's life, in a sense. That Christ goes through the phases of Adam's life and experiences, but where Adam fails... Christ succeeds. There's like a pattern of Adam here. And Adam, remember, he's tempted in the garden. And Adam falls. But Christ is tempted in the wilderness and tempted perhaps at the cross. But where Adam try, fails, Christ succeeds. And, and there is an element of truth in this. Can you think of a verse that might point us that direction? Romans chapter 5 talks about through one man uh, all sin, through one man all we made alive. Yeah. Um, I have it on here also. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about the same thing. Even Philippians 2, when it says that Christ did not account quality, equality with God a thing to be grasped, there's a picture there of equality with God as something to be, uh, some translations say robbery, as in grasping, as in Jesus was reaching for, like, he had equality with God, but he did not consider that something to be held on to. Whereas Adam, what did he do with equality? He wanted to be like God. Remember the, the temptation from Satan, you shall be like gods, knowing good and evil. And so they grasped at God, Godhood. Christ had, has Godhood and doesn't grasp it, but then humbles himself. So there is some element here. There is a, a parallel, but there's a problem with this, is that the theory is incomplete. 
and that it neglects the atonement. It's the death of Christ which saves us, not the life of Christ which saves us. Okay. The death on the cross, the bloodshed on the cross does matter. And um, so, again, Irenaeus is not an apostate. He's not a, um, a heretic. Um, Origen, it's borderline. <laughs> Some of the things he said. Irenaeus, you could read Irenaeus and actually benefit from. Yes, sir? So basically, the theory is saying that Jesus had to to live, not to come to die. Right. It downplays the death of Christ and exalts the life of Christ. It basically sees like a pattern. So it sees, okay, Adam did these things and failed. Christ does these things and succeeds. So that's how we're saved is through the life of Christ, not recognizing the payment for sin, what actually happened on the cross. It's just incomplete. Like, it's partially true. Like, it is true that the life of Christ, like his righteousness and his righteous acts are accounted to us. He fulfills the law. I mean, that, yeah, there's some truth in that. But it neglects the, the sacrificial side, the propitiation, the expiation of God's wrath on the cross. Okay, number three is the commercial theory. By Anselm. Does Anselm, does that ring a bell? Does anybody know anything about Anselm? He came up with one of the, one of the uh, arguments for the existence of God. Anselm's blank. Do you remember? This isn't a class on the arguments of God, but this is a... I'm just curious if anybody knew. The ontological argument is, came up. Anselm. He was a scholastic, one of the first scholastics, one of the first real students uh, of the word. You could call it that. They, there was a scholastic school, and he became really the head of that. He's, a, he's around uh, 1033 to 1109, so he exists right in the Middle Ages there. Um, he, he came up with this theory called the commercial theory, which uh, it says this, through sin, God was robbed of the honor due his name. Okay, there's your blank, honor. Therefore, a resolution needed to be achieved either through punishing sinners or through satisfaction. That's where we get the word satisfaction or commercial. So it's called the satisfaction theory or the commercial theory. So God could either, God had a choice. He could either punish sin or he could be satisfied. So this is, uh, and we'll talk about the analogy in a minute, but God chose to resolve the matter through the gift of his son, which is satisfaction. Therefore, Christ brought honor to God and received a reward which he passed on to sinners. That's the gift of forgiveness and eternal life through those who believe. This is kind of complicated, and it really overly complicates the issue. But what it does is it emphasizes the mercy of God at the expense of the holiness or justice of God. So we had to draw it out. It's like, it's like there's sin. Sin happens. And God has a choice of sin. He can either judge it, or he, he can, um, what's the word he used here? Satisfy it? Yeah, satisfaction. Which means something, something, something pays for it, or steps in, steps in for it. So it'd be like if you, if you uh, broke a window, your mom says, you can either get a spanking, or pay for the window. And you say, well, and she says, but I will pay for the window for you. Okay, I will provide the money so you might pay for the window to satisfy what you, what you broke so I don't have to judge you. 
Okay. So it, it, it's, it's kind of a convoluted, it's a kind of a strange argument, um, but it is something that he wrote a lot about. He was a really smart man, um, but he tended to kind of, I, I don't know, over, over even the ontological argument is, argument is kind of like that. You're like, okay, I guess, sure, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> he just he over he kind of overthinks. That's my that's my personal take. I don't know if he would have been super fun to be around. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but rather than emphasizing Christ died for the penalty of sins, this view embraces the Roman Catholic concept of penance, which means if there is violation, so much so much satisfaction for so much violation. In other words, you have sinned, so therefore say five Hail Marys and two Our Fathers. What is that doing? Well, it's because you broke the window and need to pay the window back. So there's, if you did a really big sin, it's a lot. You've got to say a lot of prayers. Little sin, lot, little prayers. It doesn't understand the seriousness of sin and the violation of, of God's holiness. So, again, you're talking here about Middle Ages Catholic, Roman Catholic scholastic. Um, this, is what, this is kind of stuff they come up with. So that's, that is the best I can explain um, Anselm's theory, satisfaction theory. Um, these other theories become a little more uh, popular. In fact, the moral influence theory, if you look on your chart on page 200, I mean, 336, you'll see that uh, Schleiermacher, that's a really important word, name right there, um, Friedrich Schleiermacher. Schleiermacher. Uh, he's a liberal theologian. Uh, you don't need to know too much about him, but you should just know that long German names are normally bad. Um, and I, I, I mean that, like long German names are, are normally a bad, bad thing. So um, he's a German rationalist and um, uh, well, I don't know if he's a rationalist, but he's definitely a, not a believer. But the moral influence theory was popular among modern liberal theologians. This theory was developed in reaction to the commercial theory of Anselm. And here the quote is that this view taught that the death of Christ was not necessary as an expiation of sin. Rather, through the death of Christ, God demonstrates his love for humanity in such a way that sinners' hearts would be softened and brought to repentance. Okay. Abelard comes up with this theory, and the theory is actually presented not long after the theory of Anselm's satisfaction theory. But the, the impact of this theory is really, really bad. Uh, because what this theory promotes, and what this theory starts to say, is it starts to downplay the death of Christ as punishment for sin. Um, it, it, it's because people, let me just put it this way, people become uncomfortable with the idea of Christ dying for sin. To them, that seems barbaric or that seems unfair or that seems un, like, why would God allow Jesus to die for sins, for my sins? It doesn't that seem like, how could he pay for my sin? For whatever reason, because of their thinking, because of the, they weren't looking at scripture. Remember these people, this is before scripture alone is the standard. The church is the standard. So it's the church's theory. Whatever the church says, that's the, that's the theory. That's what goes, right? It's not, you don't, you, if we had an argument about doctrine, you wouldn't say, well, the Bible says, I mean, you should definitely should say that, but like to their minds, they're like priests and they would not, they would not argue with each other saying, well, the scripture says this. And well, I think the scripture says this, they would say, well, Pope so-and-so said this and Anselm said this. And I think this, like, that's how they address these issues. That makes sense. So they're not basing these off the scripture as much, but this theory called the moral influence theory, it, it undermines the doctrine of the atonement because you see what he says here that 
Christ's death was not necessary as an expiation or as a propitiation of sin. But what God does is he just shows how much he loves us through the death of Christ. And that love is supposed to soften our hearts. What, what do you notice about this theory that is a major, major problem with it? There are like tons of problems with this theory. So like, just give me one of them. What do you think? I mean, there's no way for sanctification at that point. Like, oh, that's interesting. For salvation, we don't have anything to believe in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Like, like, how are you saved? Like, then, are you saved? Like, what does it mean to be saved? They don't really believe in salvation like that. They believe in a kind of a reformation. Here's the thing. They have a very high view of man in a bad way. Like, they believe that man is, like, really good and perfectible. And, like, all you need is a good example to follow. And so God, God, Jesus died as an example for us. So we could be like, wow, look at his dedication. I want to have dedication too. Like that's the extent of the depth of this. But that's very attractive to modern liberal theologians who believe that mankind are essentially good. They believe that people are essentially good and just need to be told like what to do. It's an informational issue. It's not, and it's, it appeals to the emotions as well. Okay. So this is, um, Yeah, they do. They, yeah, the answer to that is structure. They, they believe that structures, uh, societal structures, cause sin and problems. So the reason you're bad is not because you are bad. It's because the world around you is bad. And so what we need to do is change the world. This is very popular now. Oh, it's, yes, yes. So you change the world. You change the structure. And people will be better. And it's, it's a kind of utopianist mindset. Now, he didn't have that mindset necessarily, but this is where this led. Okay, the moral influence theory may or may not have been, it's kind of like a trajectory. So he presents this, and I don't know, I, I don't, can't read his mind, but Abelard, is, I can't tell you if he's like a rank apostate in the same as Schleiermacher. But people like Schleiermacher pick up on this stuff, and they, they run with it in bad directions. So, anyway, the, the, this is a very important, very, probably a very common theory among, even among churches today. So, if you, go, if you go to a mainline Protestant church that is, I, I was talking to somebody today that they were telling me about one of the old churches they went to that was liberal. And he said, yeah, they were in the LGBT LMNOP. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty clever. Um, but... Uh, the idea is, is if you're in, if you're in a church that's, that is um, accepting of homosexuality, accepting of um, bad theology, liberal... Sin, that's okay, you can say. Yeah, well, absolutely, like sin in general. But also, also like this kind of the, this theology will find a home there. Because it has this view of man that's like, people just need to be shown, like, they need to love each other. And that solves everything. And it's like, it, it, did not, it does not show the wickedness of man's heart or the need for a sacrifice, or the need for sin to be paid for, and the seriousness of sin. Dallas plays the seriousness of sin. So I put a little verdicts here. The basis of the death of Christ is his love rather than his holiness. His love rather than his holiness. It teaches that moving people's emotions will lead them to repentance, that you just have to inspire them. This is the, the, a lot of the rhetoric that happens today, and even in politics, 
is based in this idea we can build a better world, you know, very optimistic, utopian mindset of humankind's ability, mankind's ability to respond to these things. But scripture teaches that the death of Christ was substitutionary so that a sinner is justified. Like, you can't get around the fact that the scripture teaches there's a substitutionary element to the death of Christ. And these people just deny it. They say, no, 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 it wasn't. It wasn't necessary for... All. They think of themselves... What happens is, is they position themselves as too sophisticated for the Bible. They think of the... They look down on the scripture and they think of themselves as sophisticated. Oh, we're too sophisticated to believe. My aunt one time, so my aunt, before she got saved, she told my dad, oh, I don't believe in all that blood religion. That's what she told my dad when he got saved. She was going to a liberal Presbyterian church and, with, and, and they were very social gospel oriented, like do good things, build a great future for tomorrow. But the idea of blood sacrifice uh, for her sin, like she's a good person. You don't, like she wouldn't need, why would Jesus have to die for her? No, Jesus died because bad people killed him. And he's an example for us to follow, not for her, not for her sins. Does that make sense? I mean, not that it has to make sense, but you, you see how twisted thinking can, can get on there. Okay. Uh, we keep going. Number five there. We have kind of the more like um, uh, the accident theory. Uh, I don't know anybody who holds this theory except maybe radical uh, postmodern. Well, I don't know. I don't know anybody who holds this. But this is, was a theory that was, we need to know about. Schweitzer said that uh, basically Jesus just kind of got caught up in the moment and was accidentally killed. And it wasn't ever supposed to be that way. And Jesus didn't realize what he was doing. Um, there's major, major problems with that theory. It's completely unbiblical. But um, what you'll understand is that a lot of people who come up with these theories don't necessarily look into their Bibles so much. Uh, they sit, consider themselves above the Scripture uh, rather than submissive to Scripture. Verdict, the Scripture does not present the death of Christ as a mistake, but as part of God's will and plan. And Jesus predicted his own death, so he was not surprised. Uh, number six, the martyr theory. So the, the Unitarians uh, believe this. This theory was developed in response to the Reformers. So who are the Reformers? Luther. Yeah, Luther, Calvin, all those guys, um, Zwingli and others. You have these, uh, when, when, about what time frame are we talking about? When we say Reformers, we're talking about what, what century? 1500s. Yeah, f- mid-1500s, right? 1500s. Yeah, yeah, you have Enlightenment people around the same time, yeah. The view was that Christ's death was unnecessary in atoning for sin because sin does not need to be punished. So there's no relationship between salvation of a sinner and Christ's death. Instead, Christ was seen as an example of obedience, and it was this example of obedience that was supposed to inspire people to live as Jesus lived. It's very similar to the moral influence theory. But Christ is viewed only as a man. Atonement is unnecessary. And... uh, Yet the scripture teaches the exact opposite, and it emphasizes Christ as an example for believers. This is fascinating. I didn't never thought of this. It emphasizes Christ as an example for unbelievers, but 1 Peter 2 says that Jesus is an example, not for unbelievers, but for believers. So those who believe Christ, those are the ones who follow Jesus' example. The governmental theory, Gradius, was developed in, ex- in reaction to the example theory. And he says, God forgives sinners without requiring an equivalent payment. Christ upheld the principle of government of God's law by making a token payment for sin through his death. God accepted the token payment for Christ, set aside the requirement of the law, 
and was able to forgive sinners because the principle of his government had been upheld. Um, again, major issues with this. Uh, God is, in this case, subject to change. And there's no real payment for sin here. It's just Christ kind of tips his hat to the, the law. So again, if we had to think of it this way, sin happens, and this fact that sin exists causes problems for God. It, it is a... Um, trying to think how he says here it, it it it's like the law has now been broken and so in order to make god's law whole again christ has to offer the sacrifice to like fill the gap that the our sin caused but it's not related to people it's not related to individual sin it's just a mess so so these are the bad theories of the of the atonement and the reason we go through these you might say well, why do we spend so much time talking about this well because you have to be careful because, like I said, in the wrong circumstance, in the wrong environment, now some of these no, but some of these you might actually hear and be like, oh, that sounds kind of plausible. Like the ransom to Satan theory is one that a lot of people get caught up in uh, without even thinking about it. They're like, ah, oh, that sounds kind of plausible to me. It's kind of interesting. And then they get caught up and they don't realize that they're engaging in a bad, a bad doctrine. So let's look at the correct meaning of the atonement. The foundational meaning of the death of Christ in its substitutionary, is its substitutionary character. So he died in the place of sinners that he might purchase their freedom, reconcile them to God, and thereby satisfy the righteous demands of a holy God. This is the essential nature of the atonement, the substitutionary nature of the atonement. Um, Number one, substitution. Christ's death was substitutionary. When I say substitution, you know what I mean by this, right? Christ took our place. So this means that we are sinners and and we deserve death. We deserve hell. But Christ paid for our sins on the cross. Christ's death was substitutionary. Biblical evidence is that he died in the place of sinners. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Can somebody read that for me? Okay. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He took on sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Uh, 1 Peter 2.24 Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Very good. Christ died in the place of sinners. He bore the sins of others on the cross. And he suffered once to bear the sins of others. Hebrews 9, 28. Who wants to read that? All right. okay. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Christ offered once to bear the sins of many. Any experience suffering for sinners, if you look at Isaiah 53, the passage here, notice it's, he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So biblical evidence is is clear that Christ's death was substitutionary. We also have these two Greek prepositions. We have two Greek prepositions. One is the word auntie. This is not the wife of your uncle. This is auntie, which means that Christ died instead of a sinner, auntie, or it's in your book like this, anti, but it's auntie. 
Now, I noticed in your book, if you're reading, at least on the Kindle version, now I have to look on it here. Did it have the word and instead of auntie? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a mistype. That was a misprint. Um, in the book, I think it was like an autocorrect. I have a note here. It says, in the book, this is incorrectly stated, the preposition and. Um, I think this must have been some kind of autocorrect issue because the correct, the correct thing there is auntie, A-N-T-I, which is uh, the front of the word here. It means instead, or actually it's just a preposition. For even the Son of Man did not come to be, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom auntie for many. Okay, instead of sinners is your blank there. Anti means instead of. Christ died instead of sinners dying. Anti means that. Okay, that preposition has that meaning. Okay, the, pre- the other preposition, huper, it looks like hyper, but it's huper, uh, indicates that Christ died in the place of. So these are slightly different. I, I, I want to make sure you, you get this. Um, this means instead Instead of, and huper means in the place of. They're very similar, but they're slightly different. Okay. And we see this in Galatians 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Having a curse for us. Huper us in our place. So the importance of this is through Christ's death, the righteous demands of God have been met. It was a legal transaction in which Christ deal, dealt with sin problem for the human race. So Christ died for us. The substitutionary element is very, very important. That's the first big element of the atonement. You have to understand is that Christ died instead of us. And Christ died in our place. It would have been me. It would have been you. Okay, and what, that makes people feel uncomfortable sometimes because they don't like to be they don't like to be called sinners they like to think they're good so they come up with crazy theories for why that's not really what the bible says they say okay number two is redemption there's a couple important words here agarazzo uh means to purchase in a marketplace agarazzo is connected to the word for marketplace um and, and he says in 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought at a price, okay, purchased. The believer, having been bought from Christ, belongs to Christ, and is his say, I think I should have been bought for Christ. Uh, I might have, mis, might have mistyped that. How many of you have read Les Miserables by Victor Hugo? Okay. Parts of it. Parts of it. There's um, fast, it's very early on, there's a scene uh, in the book where, well, it's in the movie too. If you've watched the movie, you, they actually change them in the movie though. I noticed this. So we'll talk about the book first. Uh, Jean Valjean is a criminal who is put in jail for stealing bread uh, to feed his family. And he is a very strong man and he causes some fights or so. I can't remember why, but he's in jail a long time. He's in jail a long time. And he finally gets out. And when he gets out, he is given papers uh, that tell him he has to basically be like a, uh, he's like, basically parole papers. He has to report. And when he has these papers, he's supposed to show these papers to whoever he goes to that show he's a convict. The problem with that is that if he does that, he feels like he's not going to be able to sleep anywhere. No one will let him in their house and he possibly won't be able to get a job. So he decides to not show his papers and he flees and goes and stays with the priest. And while he's in the priest's house, 
In the middle of the night, the, the, that night, the priest feeds him a wonderful dinner, and he looks and he knows the priest has very nice things around his house. So in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean gets up, he steals the candlesticks, the silver candlesticks from the priest's mantle. He takes them out on the road, and he gets stopped by the police officers who see his piece of paper, and they realize he's a convict, and he has these nice candlesticks that come from the priest. So they take him back to the priest's home, and he says to the priest, they knock on the door, and they say, um, I could be getting some of the details wrong. It's been a while since I've read it, but this is the basic idea. They talk to the priest, and they say, um, this man was stealing your candlesticks. And the priest looks at the police officer and says, no, I gave them to him. And the police officer says, are you, are you serious? He says, yes, they're his. And in fact, you forgot some. And he goes back inside and he takes more expensive silverware. And he brings it out and he gives it all to Valjean. The police officer says, okay, fine. If he's not guilty, he leaves him alone. And Valjean's sitting there and he says, what, what are you doing? What have you done? And the priest looks at him and says, I've bought you for God. I bought your soul for God. He says, go and do good. He said, he, he, he's, and, and it's that moment that Valjean changes his life when he takes what he has, that silver, and he ends up becoming a wealthy man and doing good and taking care of other people. It's, it's a beautiful story, but, but the, and I'm not going to get into whether or not the priest was right to lie. That's another whole topic. But the, but the picture of him purchasing him, I have bought your soul is a very interesting and profound idea that now, and the idea is this, is that because of the price I've paid, you now owe me something. And there is a sense in which we have been purchased by God and we owe him a great debt, which we can never repay. Now, the gift has been made. I love the picture because the gift was already made. It's not like if Valjean didn't do it, that the priest was going to come and recapture the silver. No, that's not the point. The point is, is that now he has this weight around his shoulders that he has been purchased and he has been bought. So in the movie, which we watched years ago, I remember watching, there's a line in there where the priest says, I've bought your soul for God. Um, they changed it in the new version. It doesn't say that anymore because it's just too modern. It, it can't do that. It's something like I bought your life for God or something like that. I'm like, no, you missed the whole point. That's like the whole point is that it's his soul. Like he, he, anyway. Okay. We're going too much on that, but I, I love that picture. So that's, that's the idea of, of um, redemption being bought. There's also a word ex agorazo, which if you look at that, it's just the word ex on the front of agorazo, which means out of. So this idea of redeeming from the bondage of the law, L-A-W, that's your blank, I think. I don't know if I gave you a blank or not, but the bondage of the law to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons to purchase out, to buy out. And the truo uh, means to obtain release by payment of a price to be released, to be loosed. We were hoping that it was he was going to redeem Israel, to purchase Israel, to release us. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day. So the idea of, of, of um, redemption, redeeming Israel. So that's the word redemption. So when we have substitution, Christ takes our place. Redemption, God buys us back out of the slave market of sin. Right? We are purchased with a price. Uh, therefore, glorify God in your body. Then reconciliation is the last one there, number three. I think it's the last. Maybe there's a couple more. Ah, oh, we got at least two or three more. Number three is reconciliation. Definition here is, um, oh, 
Should be making peace. I, made, I actually made a blank in mind. I'm not supposed to make a blank in mind. I'm supposed to, I think it's making peace, right? Isn't that what the book says? Reconciliation. Um, making peace with God. I wasn't supposed to put a blank in mine. I'm supposed to put a blank in yours. Man who is estranged from God is brought back into communion with him. The barrier is created by man's sin. He has qualified us, uh, giving thanks to God the Father, has qualified us to be partakers in the inheritance and the saints in the light. We are reconciled to him. God removed the barrier of sin. He produced peace, enabling men to be saved. There are two parts of reconciliation. There's an objective aspect that man is reconciled to God prior to faith. And man is rendered savable. That's called provisional reconciliation, that mankind can be reconciled to God now. And then once a man believes, he is experimentally reconciled subjectively. He is reconciled to God, made right with God. The Greek word is katalasso, uh, which means to bring into a right relationship with someone, katalasso. I don't know if I gave you the Eng- how that looks in English, but it's uh, katalasso, something like that. Um, and reconciliation is manward. It's the man who needs to be reconciled to God. Number four, propitiation. The death of Christ fully satisfied all the righteous demands of God toward the sinner. God cannot overlook sin. So a payment was necessary. The biblical words here, the important word for uh, atonement in the, in the Old Testament. By the way, have you ever met a Jewish person who had a little hat? You know what that's called? Yamika. Okay. Um, yeah, it's also called a kipper. Um, the word kafar, uh, in, in Hebrew looks like this, kafar and K-P-R is how you would do it in Hebrew. And, and that's like kipper. How about this? What is Yom Kippur? Day Yom of atonement. Right? Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. You ever heard Yom is Day, right? So we do um, Yom Kippur, right? So it looks like something like, something like I don't know, probably Kippur like that. So, oh, yeah, definitely. definitely like that, right? <laughs> Not that you <laughs> No, that's in the right spot. <laughs> that's correct. Um, uh, but yeah, Yom Kippur atonement, right? So we're talking about covering. The word atonement has the idea of covering, covering sin. Kippur kafar means to cover. So um, uh, let's see here. Here it says the priest shall make atonement for his sin, and he shall make atonement. In Hebrew, is what it says. The Greek word is halaskamai, which means to propitiate, uh, to cover sin as payment. Make a propitiation for sin. It's a couple different times it's used in the Bible there. The related ideas here is it's the, related to the wrath of God, that God provides the remedy for this, and that Christ's death assuages, or takes care of the wrath of God. Again, people become, liberal theologians become uncomfortable with the idea of God having wrath, God being angry at sin. They don't like that idea. They think that makes God mean. And... Um, because they, again, hold themselves above the Bible, they don't submit themselves to Scripture. And so they say, well, it can't be to satisfy actual sin. And so they make up crazy ideas about the atonement. One last one, then we're done. Forgiveness. Forgiveness defined as a legal act whereby God removes the charges that were held against the sinner because proper satisfaction or atonement for sins has been made. Forgiveness happens after atonement. 
So once atonement has been made, forgiveness follows. Forgiveness in Greek is the word aphiemi. Well, actually, we've got a couple words here first. The Greek word charizomai, which means the cancellation of debt. And actually, charizomai is related to the word for, for um, gift. Um, charis. And has the idea of being given uh, cancellation of debt. And also, the second to be released. That's your blank in number two there, to be released. The Greek word is aphiemi. I need to write, I don't know if I gave you English, but it's afi-a-me, like that. Afi-a-me, that's the best I can do. And afi-a-me means to release someone, to let them go. And that's what forgiveness is. I love using that picture. Whenever we talk about forgiveness and counseling, I say when you forgive someone, you're releasing them. You're not holding them in bondage, you're releasing them. We have been, uh, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness, the aphitomy of sin. Colossians 2.13 tells us that all sins, all of our trespasses have been forgiven. Forgiveness is manward. Okay, that's about all the time we have. So we'll pick up on justification next time. Remember to do your reading. And uh, we take next week off due to Thanksgiving. And then when it comes to your reading on man, I think, so what happened is, and we'll talk about this next time, there is a change in um, doctrinal position between the editions of the books on a particular topic. So I like the old version better. And we're going to, you can read it, you can read both if you want, but I will be quizzing you over the old edition, not over the new edition on man's response in uh, salvation. Okay, any questions? Okay, thank you. Have a great night.